O Lord, you have given us the grace to know the resurrection of your Son. Grant that the Holy Spirit, by his love, may raise us to newness of life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives, remains with you, and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, great. Well, good to, good to see everybody. Uh, we have 19 participants today. There, you know, we may have one or two more show up, but um, anybody have any thoughts based on uh, our conversation last week or any reading you may have done in preparation for any for this week? Any observations or questions to start off? Father Daryl, I missed last week. Can you go over what the reasons for this week were? Yes, so we, we read, I think, uh, chapters 9, 10, 11, and 12 in preparation for today. And you know, this uh, last week was Apostolic Challenge uh, featuring St. Stephen and some of the things that followed after his death. And then this week is Apostolic Change. Uh, you know the the, the 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 acceleration of change in the early church. Is, well, it's 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 accelerating uh, with apostolic uh, change. Well, that's the name of the, the chapter of the book. Um, but it's apostolic change, and so we'll be looking at today some um, some of those, those um, transitions that are starting to occur. Yes, Mark Lacey. Well, I was reading the book last night. Oh, you were good. And I saw that. Um, it was really Paul that first realized that this was a whole new thing. It wasn't just St. Peter right. that was like, this is just a continuation of the Judea, Judea, uh, Jewish uh, way of life. Mm -hmm. This was a whole new, radical new uh, uh, way of, of thinking of things, and people were going to be included. Yes. That really hit me. Yes. Yeah, I thought that was a good point that Robertson, the author of the book we're using, uh, made. Other observations? Questions? All right, well, I'm going to jump in, and I'm going to first talk about a little bit about Second Temple Judaism, if you've ever taken a class with one of the things I teach. Uh, you know, I talk about, you know, you know, during this time period is the time period known as the Second Temple. Uh, the Second Temple was built uh, 524 B.C., starting somewhere around in there, and... They, they were they are uh, this time period argued about the role of the temple in the life of the Jewish people. Uh, they also argued about the role of the law in the life of um, well how to how to be a Jew uh, and follow the law. And primarily, I mean, you see it in the Gospels. You certainly see it in the letters of Paul. You start to see it today in Acts. And I've mentioned it before, but the things they typically argued about was uh, how to keep the Sabbath. Uh, there's indications in the Gospels of um, you know, Jesus healing on the Sabbath and the Pharisees not liking that uh, because that was work, not, not observing it. Uh, two would be the food laws. That f figures prominently in today's um, readings from Acts uh, related to Peter. Uh, but, you know, one was to keep the food laws, eat, not eat the things that were forbidden in the law and only eat the things that were allowed. Uh, the third thing was circumcision. Um, that goes, I mean, that's a long-standing practice. Um, but these are all uh, ways of maintaining Jewish identity as a subject people and part of a larger empire. So when you start messing around with the, 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 the identity markers, 
uh, that people get upset. You know, we might think about what 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 makes what makes an American. Uh, we don't quite have the same identity markers, um, but there are certain kinds of things that are, are important to us. Uh, just thinking about Southern, how do you, one identifies as a Southerner partly by what one cooks and by what one enjoys, uh, and that you know, sometimes we take pride in those kinds of um, those dishes. Uh, same thing probably for people from uh, from the Northeast or from other parts of the country. Um, yeah, we so we we have our we in a sense we have our own identity markers. Uh, you know what makes us yeah. You know, so we can think about what makes us as an American and what kind of things uh, do we think about that threaten that identity as Americans. Uh, so 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 those are the things they argue about, and all of those things come up uh, in today's um, readings from from Acts. And so I th- just thought we would start uh, with Acts and look. I uh, did make a few notes. Let's see. Yeah, okay. So the main thing is I think we, we start to see a transition from uh, Peter to Paul. Uh, Peter does figure prominently within uh, today's uh, readings, but Paul uh, starts us off with uh, his, uh, his trip to Damascus. And so I'm going to show, a, I got a map I want to show you to orient us ge- geographically where everything is happening because that's important. Um, so let me see if I can share my screen. That's not what I want to share. This is what I want to share. There it is. So, so here's a map of. Um, I found this on the internet. Uh, it's officially Missionary Journeys of Saint Paul, but it gives us what we need to know. Uh, we can see Jerusalem down in the bottom right hand, or at least to my right hand corner, the big red dot, uh, located in Judea. Uh, Caesarea f- is uh, mentioned in this um, these readings today, and it's over here somewhere. That, can, can do y'all see my cursor? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the arrow. Okay. So Caesarea is over here somewhere. Uh, it was a, it was a main. It wasn't a seaport, but it was it was, it was it's over here. Uh, then Damascus. That's where Paul's going to on his way, uh, and then. This is Antioch, which is a major, I'll get, we'll talk a little bit more about Antioch in a little bit, but it's in Syria, as is Damascus. You know, Paul is from Tarsus, that's over here, uh, and then mention is made of Cyprus, and here's Cyprus. So we may come back to this map and talk a little bit about Antioch uh, in a little while. That's where Paul is going, Paul is going to Damascus. You may remember uh, after Stephen was killed. Paul is mentioned uh, as um, approving this act and actually the people that did it laid their cloaks at Paul's feet as an act of trust. What's that? Alright, so so we have here the conversion of Paul and it says that Paul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord and he went to the high priest and got letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he's going over to Damascus to arrest people who belong to you know, this, early Christ, this early Jesus movement, uh, which was known as the way. Uh, so 
So he does that, but then on the way, he, uh, well, he's blinded by the light. Uh, light means, uh, and usually light and fire are indications of divine presence or the presence of God. And so light here uh, is, well, God's presence. And, and Jesus speaks to Paul and says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but get up and enter the city and you'll be told what you are to do. Uh, so Paul is the only one that hears the voice. Apparently the others saw, no, they heard, okay, the men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. So they could hear somebody, they could hear Jesus speaking to Paul. So Paul goes uh, to, makes the, his way to Damascus, uh, a guy named Ananias, not the same Ananias who was mentioned earlier who got, who, whose bowels fell out because he didn't give his money to the, to the disciples, a different Ananias. Uh, shows up, and he is, uh, somebody appears to him in a vision. Uh, visions happen a lot. Uh, angels and visions occur a lot in Acts. And so he has um, that, and it's, it's this appearance, well, the, yes, the Lord appeared to, said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he answered, here I am, Lord. Uh, that is kind of echoes, if you may remember back in 1 Samuel, when uh, Samuel is called to be a prophet, um, God calls to Samuel, and Samuel says, "Here I am." Uh, so that happens. That happens here, and he is told to go and uh, lay hands on Saul, who uh, had been persecuting the church. Ananias knows this, uh, and is somewhat disturbed, we might say, about having to go and do this, but he does as God directs him. And he, says, he lays his hands on Saul and says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. And his, he was able to eat. He was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. So there you go. Uh, so... Uh, one of the things to note, I, I notice in reading today is that often people believe, filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they're baptized. It's kind of um, a little different than what we do. I mean, we come to believe, then we're baptized, and then we, you know, then we say that's when the Holy Spirit happens. In some ways, the, the Holy Spirit is, is doing preemptive work. Uh, already in the life of a person before the baptism occurs. That's one thing I've noticed. Anybody else have any observations or thoughts about Paul and his... Uh, it doesn't really say that Paul did any internal work or struggled. It's, it's kind of an immediate uh, experience of... Um, yeah, there's no, there's no thought and thinking on Paul and like, well, should I be a believer or not a believer? You know, I don't, I'm not really sure about this. Um, I'll try it out for a while. And see if it works out. But if it's not, if it doesn't take, then I'll just go back to being a, a Pharisee. Uh, that's kind of what I kind of noticed in this. Anybody else notice anything? I think if you're blinded for three days, and then all of a sudden you're not, mm -hmm. that's going to have a pretty big impact on mm -hmm. you. Sure, and, sure. Mm -hmm. And visions coming, and mm -hmm. uh, it's just that his journey was very immediate. Mm -hmm. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. Mm hmm. It's the significance again of three days. We see three days often in the Bible. Right. Jesus was in the tomb for three days. 
Uh, I think um, Jonah was in the whale for three days. You know, there's a lot of three-day mentions. What's the significance of that? Uh, generally, I think three days on a symbolic level means that some t period of time has passed. Not a long time. That's usually associated with 40 days. Um, but three days just means, some, symbolically, some time has passed. Yeah. But this was quite a conversion, having murdered and Christians. Mm -hmm. Yes. Quite an immediate conversion. Mm -hmm. Does anybody have any experience themselves or know anybody that had, a, I mean, it doesn't have to be around religion, but just like change their mind about something? That felt strongly but one way, then changed their mind to another way? I guess she did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle, I hope so. Michelle has, yes. Yeah. Now you're, you're, you're on mute, Michelle. Let me see. Back another mute you. There you go. No, I mean, I um, got baptized in high school. You got to There you go. You got muted again somehow. Yeah, you may have to mute yourself. There you go. Okay. Okay. You might want to bring your microphone up there. There you go. There. How's that? There is. That's better. Good. Good. Perfect. Okay. Good. So, I mean, as far as I go, I think I have told you already that I spent, I went to Baylor, and by the time I finished Baylor, I was pretty much an atheist thanks to Baylor, and um, just last year started feeling different about it and basically felt like I was more or less dragged to church by God. Mm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a good way to explain it. Mm -hmm. and, um, so, yeah, mm -hmm. it still happens. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I didn't get struck by lightning or blinded or anything. But, um, yeah. <laughs> good. But glad you're here. <laughs> glad. Okay. Anybody else? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of eating crow involved, and you know, because you say stuff like, "Oh, how can those silly?" Like, like you know, just a year ago, I would have been saying, "Why do those silly people want to go to church? Just mm -hmm. stay home." My goodness! And now mm -hmm. I'm sitting here going, "Please, please, please!" <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. His mm -hmm. decision to go to the seminary was pretty fast. He was one day in law school, and the next day ready to go to seminary. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Anybody else? All right. Well, good. So, mm -hmm. I've always looked at Paul's experience as an argument for predestination. Who? Paul's experience? <laughs> Paul's experience, his conversion experience, because I think God just made it so difficult for him to say nothing. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. I think he was chosen. Yeah, but could have Paul have said no? I mean, like Mary said yes, yeah, in the he beginning. He said no, but it was very difficult. Okay, yes, okay. But he wasn't compelled. <laughs> he was compelled, mm -hmm. okay? I think that's just my own personal opinion. No, that's okay. Maybe you and Hugh. I know Hugh is, you know, a big Calvinist. <laughs> um, Y'all could, could talk about that. Yes, yes. My feeling was like I could have said no, but it would have been a very bad idea. Okay. Mm, right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Yeah. Father Dale. Yes. I, I have just one one comment in my studying in, in Acts. Paul talks to anybody. Every time he talks to somebody, he tells them the whole story. 
there was this big light and I fell down on the ground. Mm-hmm. You know, that mm-hmm. kind of story. Mm-hmm. We're reading about Galatians. We're doing Paul's oh, letters. Good. Also, yes. and in Galatians, he doesn't mention, he doesn't tell the story. That's correct. He mentions it, but he's too busy trying to prove to everybody that God gave him his commission. Mm-hmm and conversion, that he did not go visit the disciples in Jerusalem for like three years mm-hmm. after right. the Damascus right. thing. So it's totally different. I mean, he's got another purpose. Yes, yes. In Galatians. That's yes. kind of fun. Yes. And that, <laughs> you hear it so much in Acts. He right. just keeps telling and telling Agrippa and everybody else. Right. But now, you know, yeah, well, (laughs) well, that's, uh, he does, he also mentions that somewhere else in his letters about taking up into a third heaven, or he knows somebody who is taken up into a third heaven. And that's what some folks speculate that that means his Damascus, Damascus wrote, yes, it's, he's speaking of himself in the third person and describing what might, we might call his road to Damascus experience as being taken up. And I don't remember which letter that is, but it is always interesting to compare Acts to Paul's actual letters, especially especially Galatians, because yeah. I think next next week we'll have the, the big um, confab between Paul and Peter, which Acts has one version of that, and Paul describes it differently, as you say, in Galatians. Yeah, yeah. So, yes. It, it seems to me that in in the narrative of these chapters, there is a whole series of dramatic conversions. Yes. And it seems mm-hmm. in each case, the narrative stresses the importance of the signs done by one of the apostles and the Holy Spirit. It's, mm-hmm. You never have somebody like Nicodemus who comes and asks a series of questions and, you know, works through this and mulls it over and then decides. It's, it's always very, very dramatic. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. I mean, that's a good point because there are lots of different conversions here of, of, diff- of di- varying kinds. I mean, there's, you know, there's Saul who becomes Paul and then there is Peter and his, let's say, his conversion from obeying the food laws to not obeying the food laws. And then there's, of course, Cornelius, um, you know, who, you know, who, who is a Gentile, uh, through and through Gentile, of his conversion uh, to what we might say Christianity. So, I mean, it is full of, um, of those. And the Ethiopian eunuch, too. Yes, 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 that precedes, yes, but that's, you know, still, you know, I mean, he, the Ethiopian Yupik is kind of like, it marks that transition, yes, yes, he's the first, and then we have all these others coming in afterwards, so, you know, it's starting to pick up speed, I would say. I thought uh, it was a little bit interesting, too, that uh, this ins- Instant conversion apparently became instantaneously well known because he had trouble leaving town. Right, right. Um, the folks were laying in wait to attack him, capture him, or take him back to Jerusalem or do something. And he had to escape through the window or over the wall. Yes, yes. And that was one of those. That's one of those childhood stories I remember. It seems like it was like always a vacation Bible school or or felt bored kind of story. Um, you know, that I remember from being a, a child of him getting lowered in the basket 
uh, outside the walls of Damascus. But he's not. Go back to the Ethiopian eunuch real quick. Sure. Why did Philip, why did Philip not have an issue with that conversion? That um, a Gentile, if you will, being converted. Uh, he didn't seem to be too shocked by that. I don't know. Don't know. That's good. I mean, I, 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 I don't know. What, 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 what might we say? Could we infer from anything about we know about Philip? Or, but it it says it says the the Ethiopian had come to Jerusalem to worship. Yes. Were there Jews in in Ethiopia? Are we sure he was? He are we sure that the the text indicates that he was a Gentile? Because it, who else would come to Jerusalem to worship? Yeah, I know there's, um, I think my study Bible puts him in the category of probably a God-fearer, kind of like Cornelius. Um, let's see, I'm trying to find where that is. What chapter is that? Chapter 8. 8, there it is. Chapter 8, yes. verses 26 through 30. The reason he wouldn't be a Jew is because he's a eunuch. You know, they believe Jews believed in circumcision, but not all the way. So, you know. and so I like the way you put that so delicately. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to. Uh, yeah. So that, that was, that's mm -hmm. that it was Philip that spoke to him, um, and Philip was one of the Hellenized. Yes. Deacon. Yes. Yeah. So that made made him predisposed. Towards somebody who is not of, let's say, a, a Jew, um, since he was a Hellenized Jew, and maybe not a, I don't know how to, what, what the other kind of Jew would be, but um, more radical. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So my Bible says a eunuch; he could not be a Jew or a proselyte to Judaism, and thus his conversion foreshadows that of Cornelius, which firmly opens the Christian mission to the Gentiles. Yeah, so he's kind of like the prototype. Um, and then my, Robertson describes Cornelius. So let's talk about Cornelius. Uh, so, so, so that's in chapter 10. And that's in Caesarea. And actually Caesarea is, I was getting too confused. Caesarea is a different place than I was thinking of. There's Caesarea Martima and there's Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Martina, Martima is, I'm going to share my screen again. Alright, so for my study Bible, Caesarea Martima is largely a Gentile city north of Jerusalem on the Mediterranean coast, where the location of the Roman government of Judea. So, I guess somewhere over here is uh, Caesarea Martima. Uh, let me see if I have a, see if one of my maps in the Bible has anything that could indicate where that is. Remind me sometime to tell you my funny story about confusion over where Damascus is. What's that? <laughs> remind me sometime to tell you my funny story about confusion over Damascus when I was a little kid in vacation Bible school. All right, I'll, we'll, 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 we'll definitely, definitely. Looking at the map. All right, so yes, Caesarea would be right around here. Yes, according to my map. So, uh, so in Caesarea there was a man. We we'll go back. Near Tyre, Tyre and Sidon. What's that? Near Tyre. And Sidon. Yes, Tyre and Sidon. Yes, yes. 
Yes. So in Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort, which meant that he was a native Roman, and the Italian cohort was a a a, a were Roman soldiers stationed in Caesarea. Uh, but and and yes, so you know they're all they're all from Rome, and so he's part of that. And it says that he feared God, so he's one of those God fearers who kind of attach themselves. Uh, in some cases to synagogues uh, and with his household and he gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly to God and then one afternoon he had a vision which he clearly saw an angel of the God coming in and saying to him Cornelius and he said what is it Lord your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God now send men to Joppa which is was also on the coast I think further south than Caesarea and they're supposed to go get Peter, and so that's what um, that's what they do. You know, he sends his his soldiers, two slaves with a soldier, a devout soldier, uh, from the ranks who served him, and he sent them to Joppa. And then we transition to Peter. Peter's hanging out on a roof because he he's up there to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. Then he fell into a trance, and he sees this vision of this sheet coming down with all these unclean foods that he's not supposed to eat as a good, pious Jewish person. Uh, but a voice says to him, Peter, kill and eat. Uh, Peter resists this and says, For I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. And the voice said to him a second time, What God has made, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. And then this happened three times, and the sheet with the food on it was taken up back to heaven. That's an interesting. Yeah, so he's given this buffet, this heavenly buffet of um, what well, he might consider unclean food, and so he's still permission to eat all of it. Yeah, with permission to eat. Yes, yes. <laughs> but it's now clean. Yeah, and it's yeah. now clean. Enjoy. Yeah. Uh, so to do. Yeah. So he gets another vision. He's thinking about the vision, and the spirit speaks to him that he's supposed to go uh, downstairs and meet with um, the people that Cornelius sent. And so he meets with them, then he gets up and he goes with them, with some of the other believers from Joppa who accompanied him, and they went to Caesarea, and Cornelius was expecting them, and he called together his relatives and his close friends, more or less probably his, his household, and... Peter met with them, and again, there's that thing about feet. On Peter's arrival, Cornelius met him, and falling at his feet, worshipped him. But Peter made him get up, saying, Stand up, I am only a mortal. And they, they talked, and you know, they talk about these visions, and then Peter, and this is in chapter 10, verse 34, gives a summary of the gospel, which happens multiple times through Acts. Uh, I won't read all that, but 34 through oh, 43 uh, are a summary of the gospel. And then it says, while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. You know, so we've had several... Pentecost moments, you know, certainly the Pentecost moment was on 
the those early disciples hanging out near the temple in the upper room. But here we have another Pentecostal moment when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the Gentiles. Uh, and this is, you know, this is actually, you know, beginning to fulfill what Peter had preached about uh, in, in, in commenting on the book of Joel. Or not commenting, but um, quoting the book of Joel. He says, um, in the last, back in chapter 2, Peter quoting Joel says, In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on a, upon all flesh. You know, so this is coming to fruition here. And so this happens, uh, and again they receive the Holy Spirit, and then they're baptized. And they're baptized in the name of Jesus, and Peter hangs out with them. Any thoughts, comments, questions around this? Why does he ask if there's uh, anyone that can stop them from being baptized with water? Can, then Peter said, "Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing people?" I think what he means is, you know, if they've already, if the Holy Spirit's been poured out upon them already, what's stopping them from being baptized? Oh, okay. That's why I would interpret that. Yes, and you know, they're also speaking in tongues and. Yeah, so the normal order of baptism with water and then the Holy Spirit is reserved, reversed as the gift of the Holy Spirit justifies baptism with water. That's what my note says in my Bible. Darryl, yes? I think you've already uh, explained it, but uh, did baptism exist already in the Jewish tradition? And if it did, was it a mark of entry into Judaism? It did, but I'm not real clear about what it means. I could look that up. I know in one of my books on liturgy, they talk about baptism. Let me see. Don't worry, don't worry. I might have it, I might have it right here. I might have an answer for you. Why wait? Let's see. Early patterns. Line up cleansing and rededication. Yes, I think it has something to do with that. Yes, I think if one wanted to become Jewish, you know, so let's see. It says, baptism became the way in which a Gentile convert entered the Jewish community. Orthodox Jews still practice it, according to Liturgy for Living. But it says here that the, um, the beginning of Jewish baptism is shrouded in obscurity. Two threads of meaning seem to be woven together in it. One has to do with baths for ritual purity. And it says if Gentiles wanted to join the people of Israel and become Jews, they had to be circumcised if male and baptized. All the Jewish evidence indicates that the significance of baptism for converts was the washing away of the defilements of the Gentile world. That's according to Charles Price and Lewis Weil, Liturgy for Living. Um, so, yeah, good question. But at some point they got beyond that, and they were not Jewish, but they were Christians. Well, was, well, I think you know, Christians just took up the practice or continued it. Yeah, and with some different meanings, you know, primarily being baptized in Jesus' death and resurrection. Yeah. 
Oh, let's see. So, let's see what happens. So, so any other questions? Because we, we want to talk a little bit more about, I want to talk about the church in Antioch, primarily. But uh, what happens, I think, is next is Peter. Yes. I have one quick question. Sure. Why in chapter 9 so where 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 what what where, where, where are you looking in chapter nine? Yeah, I don't know. That may come from But there's no indication in the actual text of, of Acts, just in the notes. It's just in the notes. I couldn't find anything in the Yeah, in one of Paul's letters, Paul talks about, like, he mentions, like, 14 years. I mean, so Paul didn't, I mean, again, this goes, you know, comparing Acts and, and Paul's other, actual other letters. letters. Yes, and so, you know, he may have made reference to it in his one of his letters about spending time in Arabia. Acts doesn't seem to know about that. Uh, Paul, you know, Paul begins his ministry, you know, like that. Uh, I think it may not have happened as quickly, uh, is the way at least Paul describes it. The notes in um, Oxford Study Bible says it's in Galatians where Paul talks about his first visit being three years after his. Three years, okay. Yeah. And then there's something else where he talks about being 14 years somewhere. It may be in one of the other um, things. So, yeah, so the timeline. Yes, he doesn't meet the disciples, or let's say the apostles, till after three years. But uh, word gets back to the church at Jerusalem. It says, Now the apostles and believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. And so Peter went to Jerusalem, and the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to eat uncircumcised, with uncircumcised men and eat with them? And then he describes a vision and all that. And he basically just you know, makes a it makes it makes it a, a not apology and sort of asking for forgiveness, but just like this is the reason I did it, and describes that to them. And he, and he provides some justification in verse eighteen, and then they say, "Oh, okay." You know, so he says, uh, "And I remembered the word of the Lord, how He had said, John baptized with water, but you will bapti be baptized with the Holy Spirit." If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? And when they heard this, they were silenced, and they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. So, so they're, they're, the, the church in Jerusalem is on board now, but the Gentiles, for the time being, they're on board. Uh, we have some... In, so Antioch... So here's some stuff. So the scene starts to shift from Jerusalem to Antioch. And so here we go again with our little map. Now Antioch is up here. I honestly didn't know much about Antioch. But it, it was established in 301 B.C. And it was a prosperous and cosmopolitan city. And third, only in importance to Rome and Alexandria. And would have been populated by Syrians, Greeks, Romans, and Jews. So it was a big, 
an important an, an important place. It was actually not a port city. It was actually 14 miles inland, uh, but it was an important an important place, and that is where the Jesus movement, this um, sect of Judaism, starts to begin to separate and become its own distinct. Um, well, let's just say, I'm not going to say religion yet, but it becomes more distinct than its parent of Judaism. And so, let's see, what do we have here? So we have, uh, it says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. We kind of know where those things are, those places are. And they spoke to word to no one except Jews, but among them some mean men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also proclaiming the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, a great number, and a great number became believers and turned to the Lord. News of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and so, you know, as the church of Jerusalem often did, when they hear word, they send somebody to check it out. I think this is the third or fourth time when some people have started to believe in Jesus the, the, the church in Jerusalem sends people, so they send Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast devotion. And it describes Barnabas as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And then Barnabas does something important here. He goes and gets Paul. Paul had been sent or went to Tarsus. And then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. So it, was, so it was that for an entire year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. So that's, that's, And it may have been a derogatory name. Not real sure, uh, but there's some speculation that it could have been a derogatory term. But as when they're first called Christians. And then... I didn't notice this earlier, but it says, At that time, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them was named Agabus, stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine over all the world, and this took place during the reign of Claudius. And the disciples determined that according to their ability, each would send relief to the believers living in Judea. This they did, sending it to the elders. So we have like a transition in leadership. There's this other group, not just apostles, but there's a prophet and there's an elder. A group of elders. And so, you know, so sending it to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. And then we have, uh, we're going to talk a little bit, I'm not going to talk a lot about about Peter being delivered from prison. That's great that he was. But I do want to talk about James and Peter. Uh, King Herod, this is not the same King Herod that tried to have Jesus killed when Jesus was a baby in Matthew. This is King Herod the Great's grandson. Probably, I think it's Herod Antipas. Yes, it's Herod Antipas. Uh, he was uh, the, gr- the grandson of King Herod the Great. But he had James, the brother of John, killed. You know, we remember James and John. They're the two that wanted to bring down fire on the Samaritans who didn't... Um, yeah, I can't remember exactly why, but they wanted to bring down fire on the Samaritans. And But here... James is killed, uh, and, and Peter is arrested to please the Jews. Uh, and then he makes a miraculous escape. Um, it's kind of a comedy of errors. When he gets out of the prison, he goes to the, where the disciples 
are there and the woman answers the door but doesn't um, let him in for some reason. But it, this whole section ends. But the word of God continued to advance and gain adherence. Then after completing their mission, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem and brought with them John, whose other name was Mark. Because nobody can have just one name. Uh, and so Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem and brought with them John. And so, um, yeah, so the good news continues. You know, more and more people are becoming adherents or believers, and so that community is growing. So that's the change. I mean, the change, I think, you know, starting here, we're going to get, I mean, Peter fades from the picture almost entirely, I think, and the main characters become, well, really Paul uh, and his associates, uh, primarily being Barnabas, uh, and others begin to appear Luke himself makes he starts to show up, and you will see a transition from third person speaking to first person, uh, first person plural. I think we, and we went and did this, and we went and did that. Uh, so Luke makes himself a character in the story, uh, in describing uh, the events of Paul and his activities. Yes. So the main thing I think we're going to look at next next week is chapter fifteen. Um, that's an important chapter. So anybody have any thoughts, questions about what we've covered today? A quick question about the, the verse 27 of chapter 11 says, Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem. So mm-hmm. those would have been members of the way. That's, a, that's what it sounds like to me. That's the way I would read it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, one thing to think about is as, as a movement grows, how do you maintain order? Yeah. Um, and, any way you can. And how do you maintain order? And how do you keep momentum? Um, I mean, those are things to think about. Is How do you maintain order and momentum without becoming so, controlling things so tightly that nothing happens, but at the same time, you know, maintaining some sort of um, method for reporting back. That seems to be the, the way things work here is, you know, when communities are established out there, the main community in Jerusalem sends somebody to it uh, to, to check it out. Uh, the, the, guys, the guys upstairs have to come and make sure everything's okay. Uh, and then they come and report back. What's that? It's an interesting precursor. Mm-hmm for the very elaborate process of discernment and training to become a clergy, uh, either a deacon mm-hmm. or uh, a priest today. It, yes. A little bit more involved, a few more steps. And, but, but yeah. They're, they're, it's to protect you from yeah. us. Yes, yes. It's, it's, it's for your protection. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. You remember that God is a God of order, not of this order, so that's... Uh, hmm. Right, right. Yes. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, so, Kate? Well, I, I, I wonder how long after the crucifixion all this is taking place. I always have a little trouble with time. Sure. Uh, good question. Um, 
So, yeah, I'm not real sure about Acts and what time period we're talking about yet. I mean, I could probably kind of do some little digging around. But you know, our first letter of Paul is around 50, 51 A.D., and that's First Thessalonians. Okay. And so, and so if we say Jesus' death and resurrection occurs in 33 A.D., and Paul's letter is in 51, I'm not sure if a journey to Thessalonica is, is described in here. Uh, but we, we're, to me, Acts covers really the first 20 years. Okay. That, I would just throw that out there. Okay. Uh, yes. It is, um, yes. My uh, Bible dictionary says that it was one who was also the grandson of Herod, who put James to Thorpe and imprisoned Peter. Yes. So that was he, 41 to 44. 41 to 44. Okay, so in this time, okay, we'd be looking at 10 years after okay. Jesus' death and resurrection. Okay, that sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. That's good to know. This is Arlene. Yes, Arlene. So this was the Christian movement of the Jewish faith? Yes. And how long is that transition? What's the time span as to when? They become distinct. We it, when we could say there's like Christianity and Judaism? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, 100 A.D., 120 A.D., you know, somewhere around in there. Um that's what is I, that recorded? Is that recorded somewhere in the Bible? There's no actual, like, so this is when it happened date. I mean, some, there might be some... Kind of a gradual movement? Yes, there's more of a gradual thing. I mean, there might be, somebody might assign a date for it. Um, you know, depending on some sort of uh, council. Uh, but, you know, generally, you know, the separation occurred, you know, over, you know, 70 to 80 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Because the Jewish people basically think Christ was just a good person. Uh, I've heard people say. A prophet. Uh, yeah, it may have been a prophet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Son of God. Right, but not, not Son of God, not Messiah. Moral prophet. Hmm? Moral prophet. Prophet. Right. Yes. You know, following the prophetic tradition. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Good question. I like the story of uh, Rhoda, uh, yes. Peter coming out of prison, and the disciples, you know, praying and praying fervently. But when he, when that actually happens, they're just you know, like in disbelief. I think that's very, uh, that's kind of where I am frequently. Is that I pray for something, and when it happens, I'm like stunned that it actually happened. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't expecting that to happen. <laughs> Right. So yeah. I think what you said about how do you maintain order in in a leadership? I don't really think they were sitting around thinking about this. Do you? <laughs> no, they were not. I, they they were responding to the Holy Spirit. Yes. Yeah. That's a good lesson. Mm -hmm. It is. It is. It is. You know, I guess the question for us is how do you discern the presence of the Holy Spirit um, in 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 what's going on. But I mean, but that's what Peter. I mean, there is kind of indication of what they that uh, that you know they what they do is what do, what do they do in chapter you know so there's some indication of what you know 
the, port, the Spirit is poured out upon the Gentiles. And then Peter goes back and reports this, and there seems to be some resistance to it. And then, then Peter says in chapter 11, verse uh, 16, he says, he goes back to what Jesus said. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And if then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is I that I could hinder God? Yeah, so he goes back to Jesus' teaching to decide whether this was... I mean, he, he, well, one, he thought the Spirit had been poured out, so he you know, had some experiential uh, knowledge of this, but he also has to go back to see what Jesus said about it. And Jesus said the Spirit would be poured out. If it was poured out on the Jews, why couldn't it be poured out on the Gentiles? Specifically, he's having to defend himself to Yes. To who? To whom, yes. Uh, well, let's see, what's this say? So it says, he went to the believers in Jerusalem. Yeah, they're, they're kind of the you know, that we might infer the, the apostles who are still in Jerusalem. Um, and maybe others. I find that very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, there's, you know, all the governance seems to be occurring from Jerusalem. You know, so everything has to get cleared through Jerusalem. That changes. I mean, Antioch, you know, we see a shift from Jerusalem to Antioch uh, coming up. And we see a shift from Peter in Jerusalem, to Jesus' brother, James. One James has been killed, another James emerges. And that's Jesus' brother, as, as a leader. Is there a correlation between uh, Paul's report back to the council uh, about uh, Cornelius' conversion, and then James being killed, in order to satisfy the Jews, would they have been like preaching this in the temple and saying, you know, and then that angered the Jews? That could be, I think. I mean, about that time, King Herod laid violent hands upon some who belonged to the church. I mean, it could be, you know, there may be not a a one to one causal relationship, but, you know, we might think that there's some relationship. What do you think? Mark? It just seems to be a sequence there from the uh, council, you know, Paul, I mean, Peter coming back and explaining the conversion of Cornelius and that, uh, you know, the, the good news is for the Gentiles also. Mm-hmm. And if they were continuing the teaching in the, in the temple area, right. um, it may have angered a lot of the old traditional Jews and thinking like how are we including the mm-hmm. Gentiles into this mm-hmm. to um, our, this new sect of the Jewish religion. Right. And um, and then Herod sees this as a way to please the Jews is to uh, uh, murder a few of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean I that's I mean to me that's very very plausible. Yeah. You know, Herod got his come up and it's in verse twenty three of chapter twelve because mm-hmm. The uh, angel struck him and says he was eaten by worms. That's right, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't come to a good end. Uh, I'm sure <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, so he, uh, yeah, there is, I think somebody can, you can contrast Peter and Herod. Um, you know, P- Peter gives the glory to God, and then, then King Herod stands up and um, 
doesn't give any glory to God and gets struck down. Yeah. Yeah. So coming up, we're going to be looking at um, Paul begins traveling, uh, growing congregations in, in Antioch. Uh, with Barnabas, he starts his missionary movements around. Most of the new believers will be non-Jews, uh, which brings the first big controversy to the church of whether they are to, to observe the laws of Moses, specifically circumcision and diet. And so there's a big confab, big, a, a meeting of the minds in, in Jerusalem. Uh, that's described in Acts 15. And so uh, I think the reading will be Acts 13, 14, and 15. Acts 13, 14, and 15. And I would also encourage you to read Galatians. Let me find the Galatians. Not all, I mean, if you want to read all of Galatians, it's a fine book. Uh, you see Paul when he's really mad. Um, but yeah, so you, I would, I would, you could, read, so I would read Paul. I mean, I read uh, those book, those three chapters of Acts, and read chapter two of Galatians. I mean, Galatians is only about five chapters long, uh, but you know, read chapter two because it describes the same meeting that's described in. Acts chapter 15, but from Paul's point of view. So I, I would recommend reading at, uh, doing that. And then some things to think about, or some other things to read, according to the study guide here. Um, we could think about how apostles were commissioned. Uh, the study guide says Peter and the twelve apostles were were of Jerusalem, Barnabas and Saul are now apostles of Antioch. With the power of the Holy Spirit, following a time of prayer and fasting, there was a laying on of hands and a sending off. This pattern of commissioning continues in the church today. Review the following liturgies, the ordination of a bishop, the ordination of a priest, ordination of a deacon, confir and confirmation. So you, know, you could look at those and compare and contrast. And then, as Paul begins to take the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth, we could think about why Paul changed his name. Have you ever changed your name, and why? And what did this mean to you? Have you ever named someone, and what that might mean? Um, and we might compare and contrast Peter's and Paul's experiences of healing and preaching. So, those are some things to think about. Well, any closing questions, concerns, thoughts? What's that? It took several weeks to find, but we talked about casting lot to replace yes. Judas. Yes. Well, I had read somewhere that God instructed Moses to put the eye in the garment. And so I finally found the verse. It's Exodus 28, but it's about the Urim and the Thummim. But God did instruct Moses to put it in the 
priest would have it over the heart. So it was in some pod. Okay. You're saying they had some lots? This goes back to Exodus, Thuman and Uman? It goes back to God instructing Moses mm -hmm. in the instructions for the tabernacle and the priest's garments. Okay. It, okay. I didn't know that. Thanks for tracking I that down. It took me a long time to find it. Anyway, it's, in there. <laughs> it's in there. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, that's what... about the laying on of hands. Okay. This part of the God instructs Moses to lay hands on Aaron. Okay. And then they would lay hands on the Levites. I see. And so that's how they commissioned the Levites to become priests. Okay, by the laying on of hands. Right. Yeah, and, that tradition. You know, and that continues when we make, when we confirm somebody. You know, when we say that's, uh, you know, when they're, when they're assured of the presence or gift of the Holy Spirit, uh, it also occurs with uh, each kind of ordination that we have, deacon, priest, and bishop. Um, so laying on of hands goes back a long way. Um, but anything else? Well, it's good to see everybody. We are having a virtual happy hour. Uh, and uh, the, the, we will have another trivia quiz. It will be a Bible trivia. Uh, so I think there's going to be ten questions on Bible trivia. So so brush up on that. And um, yeah, so we'll see we'll see how we we see how we do. But uh, so that'll be today today at five thirty. Uh, we'll have uh, some time to check in, talk a little bit, find out how everybody's doing, and then we'll um, do a trivia game. I don't have any door prizes at this time, but uh, um, but I hope I hope you can you can join me then. Do you, do you have to have a password to enter? <laughs> no, I'll be sending. I need to send the. You don't. I'll, I'll be, I need to send the invite to, to Allison's. I'll do that, and she'll get that in the e-newsletter, which will come out this afternoon. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Figure out how to do it. Yeah. So no password. Just click on the click on the link, and there you go. So just like this. What's that? Oh right, yeah, we got. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I don't know. He, I don't know if he gets to participate. No, no, no. He, he'll be the judge. He'll be the judge. Kathy may yeah. give him a run for his money. That's right. And Arlene, you were saying something. Oh, I just thought maybe the password would be Daryl Sellis. Like Joseph. Joseph. <laughs> Like Joseph? Yes, yes. I, I, I like uh, going into a speakeasy. Is what you oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we won't be we won't be that we won't be that strict. But uh, the the the, oh, the, uh, the link will be in the e newsletter, which will go out this afternoon. It's been great. Good, good. Well, it's good to see everybody, and hope to see you this evening. Yes. <laughs> All right, everybody, take care. Bye. Bye. Turn it off. How do you turn it off?